my wife's family uh, tells a story about a little boy named Spencer. He was probably about, I don't know, eight, ten years old. And he didn't, he didn't really grow up going to church, but his grandparents were really involved in my in-law's church. And so one Sunday, Spencer was visiting uh, his grandparents and walked into the church. And the church had recently uh, just got a new baptismal. And it kind of looked like a, it was kind of like a circle, and they had it out in the foyer of the building. And Spencer walks in and says, huh, got yourself a hot tub, huh? Nice. baptism is kind of a funny thing, especially to someone that maybe didn't grow up in church. Say, what's the deal with that little pool up there in the front of the church, right? Or you got yourself a hot tub. Today, we are starting a new series called Take the Plunge. This week and next, we're going to be talking about baptism. If you've never been in church before, we're going to explain a little bit about what this weird thing is that Christians do called baptism, where someone gets dunked underwater. That's a little odd, right? For those of you that have been in church for a while, uh, this is really a challenge if you've never been baptized to consider being baptized as a step of obedience to Jesus. And if you have been baptized, the challenge that I want to pose to you is to think again about Two things. One, the gospel itself, which baptism we're going to find really embodies and symbolizes. The message of the Bible. This physical act that we do, although it may be a little strange, it acts out right, what we believe the Bible is really saying. And secondly, to think about who do you want to baptize? In other words, Who in your life would you love to see come to know Jesus? As we're talking about baptism, we're always thinking about who is in my life that needs this. Just as a a quick disclaimer, uh, I want to mention that I'm indebted to James Emery White. He's a former president of Gordon-Conwell and the pastor of a large church in in, uh, Charlotte called Mecklenburg Community Church. And uh, just for some inspira- the inspiration for this series and, and some of my thoughts and illustrations. So if this sermon doesn't really, uh, you know, hit the home run for you, you can email me and I'll forward you his sermon, okay? <laughs> so the question I want to start with is, is, is this. What is baptism? What is this weird thing that Christians call baptism? What is this really all about? Well, the word baptism means to dip something like underwater or to plunge something in water. The idea of just immersing something in water. And in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written, it can also, it's also tied to this idea of like dyeing cloth, where you would dip cloth in a material, or even actually using that word is used to refer to like a a ship sinking in the ocean. One of, uh, another one of Jade's kind of family stories comes from Mac. Mac is her, her grandma's boyfriend. And he tells a story about this time that he was in the army. And he got put on KP duty, which is kitchen patrol. And the cook went in there and said, okay, Mac, you know, you're a private or whatever they call him. Hey, private, you know, you're washing the dishes. If I come back in here and that tub is not crystal clear with water, you're going to be on PT, which is physical training. Nobody wants extra PT, okay? So Mac, kind of a little nervous, you know, just like every five minutes, 
He's refilling the water, scrubbing the dishes, getting those aside, draining it, refilling the water so that any time that cook would come in there, that water was clear. There was no dirt in that water. And then Max says, huh, that cook, he never came back. He just let me go that whole time, you know, spending all that time doing water. Okay, I got one laugh on that story. The whole idea is that's baptism. He is baptizing those dishes in water, okay? I want that mental image in your head, right? Max baptizing dishes. When you wash clothes, right, if you have a top loader, you're baptizing those clothes. Front loader, not so much. That's a little more of a sprinkling. We'll talk about that next week, okay? <laughs> that's what baptism means. You're plunging it under the water. You're dipping it. You're dying cloth. A ship is sinking, right? That's the, the kind of the root understanding of this word. Now, this connection, and here's the second point of the illustration, to water. What do we associate water with? Right, right? Most often, we drink it, right? Everyone, that's pretty universal. If you don't drink water, you're dead. So most cultures drink water, right? <clears throat> but the other connection is washing, right? We wash clothes. We're washing dishes, utensils. We wash our bodies in water. It's a very universal understanding of water is something that represents cleansing. And that's why it's not surprising that you see through the Old Testament that the Jews were commanded to do different rituals involving washing with water. So the priests would have to wash in certain ways. People would wash before they went into the temples. There was all these rules all over the place about washing with water. So you see this connection to water is a connection of cleansing. And actually, the Jewish people were not the only ones that had ritual purification through washing water. There were other religions in that area that did the same thing. The Jews actually had another practice of totally immersing people in water. And it was this. It was when the Gentiles, any Gentiles, any, anyone outside of the Jewish faith, when they converted to Judaism, they would undergo a one-time ritual cleansing that represented a washing from all their past sins and a new start to life. Isn't that interesting? Now, baptism, however weird you may think it is, isn't as weird as maybe you think. We all have very strange ceremonies in our lives, rituals that we go through, that from someone outside of our culture would be like, well, that's weird. Take this one, for example. Let's all sit outside for a few hours in the hot sun facing one direction, and watch people parade in and march across a little stage, listen to someone read a really, really, really long list of names, and then watch people in funny clothes pull a little piece of cloth across their foreheads to signify something. And then, you know, there's some handshaking and stuff in there too, and a long talk. Not unlike this one. What is it? Graduation, right? So a high school graduation, right? That would look rather awkward or weird to someone that has no context for that. We all have these weird things, and high school graduation is similar to baptism, and then it's this kind of rite of passage, right? The start of a new life, right? You're saying, okay, I've completed these requirements. I've passed on, past high school. I'm moving this little tassel thingy across to say, look at me, I've graduated. And that is so weird, right, if you've ever thought about it, okay? So it's, it's a symbolic ritual that we use to mark a very important moment in life. <clears throat> so, 
That's kind of the Jewish background context for baptism. Now along comes John the Baptist. And here's what it says about him in the Gospel of Mark. Okay, kind of the introduction to New Testament baptism is right here. Mark chapter 1, verse 4, right from the beginning of this Gospel. It says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, very comfortable, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Yum! And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you, baptize you with water, but he, the one coming after him, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's actually some real meaning to the locusts and wild honey and camel's hair and all that stuff that we don't have time to get into today, but I made a little joke. I just want to honor John the Baptist. You weren't crazy. You're alive now in heaven and Jesus with Jesus maybe listening to this. So, I honor you. So, John is baptizing. He's plunging people, right, in the Jordan River. He's immersing people in water as a one-time event, just like this Gentile conversion we heard about in the Jewish faith preceding this. When people are turning away from wickedness or evil in their lives, they're not necessarily coming to a new religion, as they would be in that past instance, but they're repenting and turning away from wickedness or evil in their lives, and they're receiving forgiveness from God, okay? Cleansing. There's that same kind of motif, right? Cleansing from sins. But there's two new things that he is doing here. Number one, he is now saying that everyone needs to be baptized. Everyone. Not just Gentile converts coming into the Jewish faith, but he is calling everyone to be baptized. He's telling everyone they need to repent, just meaning turning away from something bad and going towards God, right? Turning from evil, receiving forgiveness. And it's interesting that it notes in Luke 7, it says that the Pharisees rejected God's will for their lives in not being baptized by John. Let that blow up your theology a little bit. They rejected God's will. They resisted his will in not being baptized. So it was God's will that all these people would be baptized by John. He's calling everyone to this baptism of repentance. Everyone, not just converts of the faith. And secondly, John is doing the baptizing. Now we don't know about the Gentile converts. I'm not sure if they were baptized by somebody else. But generally speaking, the ritual washing that the Jews did, even to the point of immersing themselves in water, was they were cleaning themselves. After all, it would be kind of weird for you to scrub somebody else, right? So this is a new deal where they're being baptized by someone else. There's a connection there to community and also to the fact that you can't do this yourself. And that's so interesting. There's got to be a mediator of the baptism, okay? Now, this summer, I had the privilege of marrying Tony and Jess Jezimondo, two Harborites. And they had a public ceremony and exchanged rings. It was a one-time event. And they aren't having another ceremony next summer, at least to my knowledge. This is what John was doing with baptism. It's a public event. When you involve somebody else in that, it's automatically not just one person. If you have to be baptized by somebody else, it's gone public. 
right? Someone else is witnessing this baptism. Now, along comes Jesus. He uses the same practice, which is why now we consider baptism a sacrament of the church. Sacrament is just a fancy word to say. It's a sacred act that is visible. It's a visible outward symbol of something inward and spiritual. Because Jesus uses this practice and commands it of his followers, along with communion or the Eucharist, which we'll practice later today, it's called a sacrament. Okay? But Jesus takes what John the Baptist did and takes it two more steps further. The symbolism of baptism takes on another facet of death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus says this in Mark 10. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Referring to his coming death on the cross. When someone is baptized, the symbol is you are, being, you, are, you are dying and being buried in a grave. You're lying down in that water, and then you are being pulled up out of that grave and raised to new life in Jesus. It's a principle of identification with Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection. So someone who is baptized as a follower of Jesus is saying, my old way of life is dead. Not just I'm making a new start, but that person is actually dead. Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I am dead. But now I live in Jesus. That's the statement. Right? And secondly, Jesus adds this thing that we heard John the Baptist mention about the one who would come after him. It's baptism with the Holy Spirit. In other words, being baptized in water is a representation that now God's people are immersed in the Holy Spirit. These people now have God living inside of them. When they become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in their body. He becomes one with them. It's an amazing picture of just this immersion underwater. You're getting totally soaked, right? When you go underwater... You're wet. Everything is wet. All your clothes are wet. The water even goes to your undergarments. Right? You're completely immersed in that water. And it is the same picture of how now followers of Jesus relate to the Holy Spirit. That we are in him and he is in us. <clears throat> now here's a funny question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus got baptized by John? Why don't you take a moment, talk to somebody next to you, and see if you can come up with an answer. Why did Jesus go to John for baptism if John's was repentance from sin and turning away from God? Jesus had no sin. So why was he baptized by John? Two minutes, go.
All right, I got 30 seconds. Anyone want to just kind of wager a thought there, wager a guess, or just share a thought? He's being obedient, right? Holy Spirit told him to do it. Leading by example. Yeah, good. He's calling his followers to doing it, sorry, so he's doing it. Yes, so setting an example, identifying with us, and saying, I'm doing this too. Yep. Yeah. Because people didn't know that? Yes, because what happened when he was baptized, right? The, the heavens opened and it says, God spoke and said, here's my beloved son, right? In whom I am well pleased, listen to him, right? <clears throat> so a couple of the thoughts is that, you know, Jesus in that moment of baptism received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. It says a dove, after the loud voice, a dove comes down and rests on his shoulder. And then that launches Jesus into ministry, right? So there's this connection to the Holy Spirit for baptism. And also this sense of it's a picture of his own death, right, and resurrection coming. So he wasn't confessing his own sin. But here's a quick summary. This is what baptism is all about. It's a one-time event. It's for everyone and anyone that professes faith in Jesus. And it's where someone else dips you under the water, making it a public statement and to show that you can't save yourself. And here's what it symbolizes, three things. Cleansing from sin. We turn away from sin. We receive God's forgiveness. Identification with Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, meaning we have a new life. Our old way of living is dead. And an immersion, right, in water symbolizing an immersion in the Holy Spirit to fill you with power to live this life of Jesus. So who is baptism for? I kind of already gave this away, but let me read this passage from Matthew 28 to make it really clear. Matthew 28 says this at the end of the book of Matthew. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. For Christians, it's conversion, immersion. That's how it works. If you are a follower of Jesus, his first command is, get baptized. This is the first thing we see Peter say in the first sermon of the church in Acts 2. He gives the gospel, talks about how Jesus has been Lord. They put him to death. God raised him from the dead. And they'll say, what do we do? And he says, repent for your sins, right? Put your faith in Jesus and be baptized. Baptism is for anyone who calls himself a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, then baptism is for you. And Jesus says that we are to make disciples and baptize them, teaching them to obey. Conversion, immersion, they're always going hand in hand. I want to share something practical. In two weeks, we're going to have the tub up here filled with nice warm water. I'm going to make it as easy as for you to take the plunge as possible. It will not be freezing cold. We're not going to ice it down, okay? It's not the ice bath. Who should baptize me? pastor need to baptize you? I would be curious to know where it says that in the Bible. 
if you're called to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, why do we think that only pastors can do the baptizing, but everyone else can do the discipling and the teaching? That's actually not the Bible. If everyone is called to make disciples, then you are all called to start baptizing people. Get a pool in your backyard. Get yourself a hot tub, people. It's got more than one use. I have baptized someone in a hot tub. Let me just mention, okay? You are called to always be thinking as a follower of Jesus, not just of your own relationship with God, but those around you that need to be baptized, right? And you can baptize them. And so in two weeks, I will hopefully not be the only person baptizing people. If you are already feeling a tug on your heart and saying, man, I've never been baptized, but Jesus, I want to follow you with my life. Then you start thinking about who it is that's discipled you, who it is that led you to faith, or who it is that's been walking with you, mentoring you, helping you along your faith journey of following Jesus. And let's have them baptize you. Because that says something, guys, right? It says that we are all called as the priesthood of all believers. Really? Right? Not just kind of, but now we have pastors too. And obviously there's a, there's a role there, but I'm just saying, hey, you can baptize people. If you go to another country on one of our outreach trips, okay, and lead someone to faith, you're the one that's going to be baptizing them. And then if they lead someone else, guess what? They baptize that person, not you, foreign, western person, okay? That is for the church. That is part of the priesthood of all believers. It is our job to be thinking about who needs next to take the plunge, okay? And if they're nervous about it, I can do along with them. Just getting real practical here. You think about that, okay? Now, Caleb mentioned at the start of the service, this week we are holding a corporate fast. You're starting Wednesday, okay? And then Friday after, I would encourage you, Friday after the worship night, that's a great time to break the fast. Why are we doing this? Why would we starve ourselves for three days? What an awful thing, okay? Especially when you, like, can't afford to lose any weight. I mean, look at me, I'm going to disappear, okay? All three of our churches in the Boston area are going to be doing this together. And here's why. We want to see a heck of a lot more people get baptized. There are a lot of people in this area that have no interest in that, and we want to see Jesus bring them into his family. And so it is worth it to make a small sacrifice of not eating for a few days so that other people, that God can use us in just calling out to God and saying, oh, Lord, would you do a move in our day? Not just the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening, but a greatest awakening here, right, that we've ever seen. Just calling out to the Lord to do something because we're desperate to see people that we love and know and work with and our neighbors with come to know Jesus and we can't make it happen ourselves, okay? That is why we want to fast, guys. Will you do it with me? Will you do it with me and say, these people in my life are worth it. They're worth, they're worth it. They have to have Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, help us. So why get baptized? Why do this weird, awkward thing and a bunch of people and, you know, have your clothes get all weird and sticky and wet when you come out of the water and, you know, you're like, I don't feel awkward, you know? All that stuff, it's because Jesus tells us to do it. It's because it is a marker of new life in God. It's a public statement to say, hey, everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to follow him with my life. I've been buried with him. I was died. My old way of life is gone. 
and I have been raised up to new life, and I'm immersed with the Holy Spirit, and I am living Jesus' life right now through his power. It's his life in me. I've been cleansed from all my past sins. I don't deal with that anymore. God's not dealing with that. We're not thinking about sin. We're talking about Jesus. And yes, I'm still confessing sin in my life, but that's not what I'm dwelling on. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, not on my past. Is that good news? Come on. Right? Jesus commands it. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, I'm telling you right now, this is God's will for your life. This is the next step. We were in Indonesia, Jade and I, with a team of people on an outreach trip a number of years ago that was part of our discipleship school. And um, we were there for two weeks, just kind of trying to share the gospel with people, start up conversations, praying for people, things like that. And we had the most success with cab drivers. And if you know this, uh, you know, Indonesia is mostly a Muslim country. It's the largest Muslim country in the world. The only island that's not Muslim is um, Bali, obviously, the Hindu, Hindu uh, religion there. But the cab drivers are stuck with you. So they can't just like say, no thanks. They're still driving. You've got lots of time to share the gospel. You're sitting in traffic, right? And so we share the gospel with this one guy named Yusef, Muslim guy, and he was really interested. And so we ended up meeting with him again, just kind of called him up to give him a cab ride, and we took another ride with him. He brought us somewhere, and we shared the gospel again. And at the end of that ride, he ended up, he ended up wanting to accept Jesus. We prayed a prayer with him. He accepted Jesus, and we said, hey, let's connect again in a few days and just see where you're at. We wanted to meet with you, and, you know. We met with him again the next time and asked him if he wanted to get baptized. And he said no. And that was crushing. Because in the Muslim world, that is what actually sets you apart as a follower of Jesus. When you get baptized, that is the marker that, in a lot of ways, blows up someone's world. Why do the Muslims know that and we don't? There's something about this public statement of faith that says, yes, I am really a follower of Jesus. I am committed to this. I'm going to show all of you that that's who I am and this is who I'm following. And this is what I believe. And for a lot of Muslims, that's when things really get real. When they get baptized, there's persecution that often comes in. Their family, you know, oftentimes writes them off. There's something powerful about this command that Jesus has called us to get baptized. It's this public statement. 30 years ago, there was a little 8-year-old boy that heard a message similar to this. Someone was talking about baptism, and he said, you know what, I think I want to get baptized. He talked to his parents about it. They kind of tried to talk him out of it, actually. They're like, ah, you're a little too young, just kind of probing a little bit, like, you know, hey, you sure, you know, just making sure no one's pushing him into this. And he, and he fought back. And he said, no, I want to follow Jesus with my life. So Jesus said to get baptized, and I want to get baptized. Eventually his parents relented. They said, okay, you can get baptized. He met with the pastor, kind of a little interview thing, you know, and the pastor felt like he was con he convinced that this boy was serious about it. And uh, <clears throat> baptism day came. I think I had to put on a, sorry, I just gave it away. <laughs> but put on a robe, marched down into those waters. There's an old Baptist church. So there, was, there was a tank right in the church. and could barely see over the lip of that tub. It was kind of deep. He stood up there, answered the questions, you know, you believe in Jesus, if you confess him as Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him the dead. You want to follow with all your life. You repent from sin, receive God's forgiveness. Yes, I do, you know. And boom, under he went. And that little boy has followed Jesus to this day, and that little boy is me. Okay? 
Praise the Lord, right? An eight-year-old can get baptized, and they say, you know what? Jesus said to do it, so I am going to do it. That's why we get baptized, and it is a public statement, right, that we are identifying with Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. We have new life. We're immersed in the Holy Spirit. We're cleansed from all our sin. What a beautiful picture that Jesus has given us to celebrate with new life in God, life in his spirit, forgiveness of sin, and, and man, that old way is gone. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. So I want to invite you, as the band comes back up, backs up, back up, to consider this if you've never been baptized. And if you have been baptized, I would invite you to think, think, start thinking with the Lord about, man, who in my life needs Jesus? I want to baptize that person. Okay? That's a huge motivator for us. We're going to end with communion here, and we're going to do it a little bit different today. Um, but I want to just share with you, if, if you've never heard the message of the Bible, here's the message of the Bible. The world is a really messed up place. The Bible owns this like no other book. Right from the beginning, it says that the world is messed up, not because God made an evil world. God made a good world, but he gave people freedom, and we chose evil and wickedness. We chose selfishness. We chose to hurt other people, and through that, to hurt God as well. And because of that world being messed up, right, we see all the problems that we see today. But the Bible also tells us this, that God is love. That God is love. And because he is love and he loves people of this world, he entered into the horrible world that we, that we often face, the horror of the world. He became a man, subjected himself to pain and suffering in this world so that he could rescue us from the evil of this world. And he did that to the point of not resisting evil people when they wanted to put him to death. And through that death, somehow the sacrificing of Jesus on the cross and his shed blood made a new covenant between God and people. An agreement between God and people that said anyone that would put their faith in Jesus will be forgiven. All sins, past, present, and future, anything that they've ever done to contribute to the evil in this world, God would forgive that. And then you know what happened? Jesus didn't stay dead. God, on the third day, raised him from the dead. Exalted him to the right hand of the Father. Right? And said that now Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is King. Not just in heaven, but on earth as well. And now as Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, his kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of goodness is filling this earth. Heaven's invading earth, and my invitation to you is to join heaven. Put your faith in Jesus today. He loves you. He's Lord. He is offering forgiveness for everything you've ever done and an amazing relationship with him where you can hear his voice, interact with him, and experience his love. That's what the Bible is all about. Let's stand together. We're going to take communion. I'll just ask you to close your eyes right now. Let's just pray. Hey, if you've never accepted Jesus in your heart and you want to do that today, you can just say a simple prayer like this. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I believe you're Lord. Jesus, forgive my sins. That's all it takes. And welcome God into your life. Say, God, I give you my life. I receive your forgiveness, and I put my trust in Jesus to save me from my own sins. Thank you, God.